Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good afternoon, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Now, if you're old enough, you might be having some deja vu. When you see Clinton talking about implementing an assault weapons ban, it's been a cornerstone of her to crawl to the White House for a while and she's not just going to pick up where her husband left off. She'll expand on the band's reach and cripple the firearm industry with the help of the most prevalent anti-gun groups. You should think what that will all, you know, those aspirations, you know, exactly what that's going to do. It's going to crush American Second Amendment rights and she's She's had a lot of support from something like an assault weapons ban, right? Eh, well, let's see. Thankfully, that doesn't seem to be the case. As it was shown in a Gallup poll released this Wednesday, American support for an assault weapons ban has steadily dropped since 2012, from 44% across the board to 36%. And it's not just Republican and independent citizens who are losing faith in this type of ban. Democrats are showing diminishing support as well and dropping from 59% to just 50% in the same four-year period. Now, it's worth noting that this isn't coming from a strongly pro-gun website. In fact, websites like Mother Jones and the Huffington Post have used Gallup polls to to just justify statistics in the past. Now, so at least from their perspective, these polls have actual merit. And while many Americans still desire stricter gun laws, it's only a matter of education before they realize that, in fact, more gun laws lead to more crime. Now it's time for the chickens to come home to roost. It's time for Travis County voters to focus on candidates at the bottom of the ballot. Now, too many voters in this county vote straight ticket and worse, straight Democrat without looking at all of the candidates on the ballot. As a result, we have a Travis County constable that has been elected and reelected into office that was fired from Texas Department of Public Safety, fired from the constable's office just so he can run against the guy that fired him. Now, but the people aren't paying attention. 
they're not focusing at all. They're actually looking at that ballot. They're voting straight party Democratic ticket instead of going all the way down the ballot and focus on each individual race. Now, so this guy has been referred to as a gypsy cop, and he's also been referred to as the cocaine constable. Why, you say? Well, gypsy cops usually move from agency to agency as lateral transfers or law enforcement officers that have already been trained and certified. Lateral transfers are often preferred over new results, uh, just new recruits due to a simplified hiring process. Now, some smaller agencies knowingly hire gypsy cops because they have difficulty in recruiting quality officers because of less desirable situations, such as lower pay, substandard equipment, limited training and growth potential, less exciting police activity and even less prestige. The vacancy of even one officer in a small agency of five to ten officers or less can create substantial hardship on an agency that must provide 24-hour coverage to the community it serves. Problem officers are often allowed to resign in seemingly good standing and then go to another unsuspecting agency with a good recommendation from a previous chief or sheriff who is eager to get rid of the problem officer. Now, many regulatory agencies are never made aware of problem officers or have limited basis to try and investigate or sanction due to reluctance of many agencies' heads to report problem officers. Now, while such gypsy officers may unsuited are unsuited to serve in law enforcement, they often are undetected outside of their agency or have not engaged in serious enough misconduct to justify termination or decertification. In other cases, small communities with limited budgets and legal resources may be hesitant to determine a problem officer out of fear of a lawsuit for wrongful termination or hostile workplace. Now, gypsy cops may be experienced in knowing how to threaten and intimidate agencies and communities with costly and unflattering allegations and litigation. They will often negotiate a positive departure from an agency once they reach critical mass and are facing dismissal. Now, most states have a consolidated retirement system for state, county and municipal peace officers, which is unaffected by transfers between agencies so long as continued employment occurs and can thus far provide incentive for both good and bad officers to move frequently between agencies. This is how gypsy cops can stay on one step ahead of discipline and termination. Gypsy cops have avoided scrutiny in large states such as Alaska and Texas by moving hundreds of miles away when moving to another agency. In response to this scenario, Texas, Alaska and other states have tightened mandatory administrative standards to monitor and sanction gypsy cops in recent years. Now, let's focus on why Don Ballesteros is referred to as the cocaine constable. We're going to break down one of five accusations made against Ballesteros in the formal personal complaint that an assistant commander in the DPS Narcotics Division filed in September of 1996, alleging that Don Ballesteros had violated department policies and state laws. Specifically, Ballesteros was accused of receiving more than $70,000 from a confidential informant named Odo Vilmar Jacone 
in some documents, Chacon's first name is spelled Oto, O-T-O, but his name is O-T-T-O. And this was back in 1990 and 91. Now, according to a sworn statement by Chacon dated August 6th of 1996, including in the DPS file on Ballesteros, Chacon agreed to become an informant to Ballesteros in 1989 after another informant helped make a case against him. Now, Don Ballesteros actually described Chacon as an informant who arranged for drugs to be brought into the United States by airplane, although Ballesteros said Chacon didn't pilot the plane. Now, among the other statements made in the DPS complaint against Don Ballesteros is that he knowingly allowed Chacon to import 2,000 kilograms of cocaine into Texas from Mexico in July of 1991 without seizing it and failed to make accurate and truthful reports to his supervisors about the activities. Now, the DPS internal investigation concluded that four of the five claims against Adon Ballesteros, including that he had allowed the cocaine to be imported and that he had accepted money from the informant, were sustained. Currently, according to DPS website, that means that the allegation is supported by sufficient evidence. A sustained complaint can result in disciplinary actions ranging from a formal reprimand to being discharged. Now, according to DPS report, it says that Chacon told investigators that he gave Ballesteros money after Ballesteros asked for it on four different occasions. Now, according to Chacon, he gave Ballesteros about $2,000 in loan money in early of 1990 that was never repaid. A few months later, Jacone gave Ballesteros $3,000 after Ballesteros said he needed money to buy a computer to keep track of the information related to their investigation. Now, the report says DPS investigators tracked down a receipt from a computer store in McAllen, Texas, that documented the cash sale of a computer. The then Lieutenant Adon Ballesteros paid $2,702.60 on March 6, 1990. The report says that Ballesteros acknowledged that the receipt was for a computer that he had bought. Now, later the same year, the DPS report says Chacon gave Adon Ballesteros $15,000 after Ballesteros said he needed a loan of that amount to help pay for a new Suburban. The report says that the vehicle was bought from a Chevrolet dealership in San Antonio and that Ballesteros put more than $10,000 in cash toward the purchase. Now, report does say when the purchase took place. Now, according to DPS, Jacon also said that he gave money to Adon Ballesteros within a month of delivery of the 2,000 kilograms of cocaine, which the report says would have been in August or September of 1991. Now, Jacone told investigators that Adon Ballesteros said he was having financial troubles and made remarks such as, don't forget about me, and that Jacone took as Ballesteros asking for money, and Jacone told investigators that a short time later, he gave Ballesteros a briefcase containing $50,000. And on October 20th, 1997, a letter to Ballesteros from the DPS director, Dully Thomas, informed him that Thomas had reached a preliminary, preliminary decision that Adon Ballesteros should be discharged from Department of Public Safety. It also laid out nine department rules and regulations and three state laws at issue. 
specifically, the letter said that if Adon Ballesteros accepted money from Jacon, he violated a state bribery law and two laws governing the behavior of public servants, as well as four DPS regulations, including one prohibiting borrowing money or accepting gifts from any person seeking a departmental service a favor or information for himself or others or from anyone known suspected or reputed to be a violator of the law adon ballesteros's firing became final in january of 1998 after which he appealed to the state's public safety commission which oversees dps and in september of 1998 the commission upheld the firing and so adon ballesteros was given a polygraph examination which also he failed. After being fired from DPS, Adon Ballesteros applied for a job at Travis County Precinct 2, where he lied on his application about why he was no longer with DPS. Once hired, the then Constable Bob Van decided to fire Adon Ballesteros, but before he was fired, Adon quit so that he could keep his T-Cole certification. Now, then decided later on to run against his boss in a now heavily democrat district where he won the election and the voters never found out or paid any attention to the fact that adon ballesteros is passed hence why he was referred to as a gypsy cop and as a cocaine constable because voters vote straight party ticket and they don't focus on the races at the bottom of the ballot this is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Doug Du Bois Jr., Executive Director of the Texas State Rifle Association. You're listening to Michael Cargill and Come and Talk It Radio. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right. So it's important to get involved in this election. It's important to go down that entire ticket there and vote for each individual race and separate yourself from the party. You have your Democrats, you have your Republicans, you have your Libertarians, and you have your Green Party. Select the right person for that job. Don't just vote straight Democrat. Don't just vote straight Republican. Look at those individuals and vote for each individual race and pick a great candidate for that particular office. So let's get away from these gypsy cops. Let's get away from the cocaine constable. It's time to get this idiot out of office and send him back on the unemployment line where he belongs. So let me bring into the conversation. Eric Guerra is a Travis is running for Travis County Sheriff as a libertarian here in, in Austin, Texas. Eric Welcome to Come and Talk It, sir. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. All right. So, Eric, tell me a little bit about yourself and why did you decide to run for Travis County Sheriff? Absolutely. Um, I'm a 26-year-old uh, student at the University of Texas right now. Man, and I like you already because you're young. <laughs> yeah, get rid of some of these old people and, you know, we just need some young blood in there. I like yeah, that some already. Some energy, some, some vigor. Uh, I'm a senior now at the University of Texas, graduating here in December. Uh, with my BA in government. So this has always been something that's interested me. Uh, my father has been a police officer in California for over 30 years now. So um, police is something that is near and dear to my heart. 
having grown up around uh, police officers, you know, my entire life and uh, seeing, you know, what my dad does and uh, how he conducts himself in an honorable way and seeing where, you know, our country is with regards to uh, the view of police forces and, and how the public is seeing them and, and issues that we're having there. Uh, you know, when the opportunity arose within the Libertarian Party for me to, to take this spot on the ballot, uh, I jumped at the opportunity because it's, it's something I truly care about. All right. So tell me, all right, there's a, the big problem in Travis County is police accountability. Mm-hmm. And it's also going to be um, the fact that we are, what do you call that? We're, um, God, what do you call it? I don't know where you're going with it. Yeah, <laughs> I got to bring you in. I got to bring you in. So, so we're uh, we're like a once you're arrested, and mm-hmm. let's say you're here illegally, mm-hmm. um, they actually will bring in let ICE mm-hmm. put a detainer on you, and allow you to be held in the jail because you're here illegally and you're charged or convicted of a crime. Mm-hmm. Well, the Democrat sheriff believes that. There should not be an ICE detainer on people that have been charged, charged or convicted of a crime who are here in the country illegally. So what's your stance on that? Well, ICE, ICE detainers. Absolutely. Uh, it obviously, just like with everything else, it's not a black and white issue. Um, you know, as, as a libertarian, you know, we, we feel or, you know, a lot of us feel that, you know, as a sovereign individual, it's your right to, to seek whatever happiness uh you can find in life, provided you're not infringing on anybody else's pursuit of their own happiness or harming them in any way. Um, so as far as ICE is concerned, uh, that's something I would not see myself cooperating with ICE in most cases. Uh, I don't feel that it's necessary to break up families over somebody being arrested for a, a minor traffic incident or, um, you know, even something like a, a nonviolent, you know, marijuana, marijuana possession, something like that. However, so we're not so we're not talking about class C misdemeanors. We're talking class B's, A's and felonies is what we're talking about. We're talking crimes. OK. So what's your stance on that? Again, I, I think it would depend. Uh, I could see in the case of, of a violent crime, um, especially when it's regarding said family, if, if the person the criminal is, is performing violence against his family or her family and it's it's in the best interest of the family to remove that person from the situation um you know i could see in a situation like that where uh where i would you know bring ice in perhaps but um by and large i would say i would lean towards not not using ice detainers all right so let, let me bring in um justin with uh text uh lone star gun rights to ask you some some second amendment questions go ahead give it to him justin well, what what exactly is your stance on firearms, and how do you feel about people can, being able to carry uh, unlicensed? Uh, well, I uh, I'm a big proponent of the Second Amendment. Um, the Libertarian Party has a very strong stance on that. We're we're very much in support of the Second Amendment, um, constitutional carry, those types of things. I think uh, you know more gun control, more gun laws only hurt responsible gun owners. The people we don't want having the guns are going to get them illegally and do the things that they're going to do. Illegally, anyway, so that's hurting responsible gun owners and, and keeping the amount of uh, responsible gun owners out being able to carry and helping to prevent some situations like that is only harmful, uh, I feel. So, say somebody's traveling in your county and you pull them over and they're carrying a pistol without a license and you and you run a background check on them and you find out that they're they're law abiding citizens. What do you what do you do then? I would say that Cause per the law, they would be breaking the law, but. If they're law-abiding citizens, they legally own the they only they're legally possess the firearm. In my opinion, they should be able to carry it. But what's your opinion on that? I, I agree. In my opinion, they should absolutely be able to carry it. Okay. Uh, they've shown no reason to 
to for me to to say that they shouldn't be you know allowed to have that weapon on them. And then yeah, because ultimately you'd be turning them into a criminal criminal when they weren't to begin with. Exactly, and it's you know it's a bunch of you know government and bureaucratic hoops that you have to jump through anyway. Um, you know it doesn't have to do with responsibility. It's all a bunch of of government mandated issues on uh, deciding who has the ability or the right to carry a gun around. And I, I think here, here's an even tougher one. What about uh, NFA items? Are you familiar with NFA items? Uh, like suppressors, full auto guns. Yeah. Stuff like that. uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely a little bit tougher. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where I guess, again, it's, you know, uh, kind of a case-by-case type thing. But Well, let me give you my opinion first on suppressors. I, I think of them as a safety device okay. because ultimately they're helping your hearing. They're not completely silent. They're not whisper quiet. Nothing. Nobody's committing crimes with them. So in my opinion, it's more of a safety device. Okay. Now, the full auto thing is obviously, you know, that's more of just I want it because I should be able to have it. Absolutely. Um, so, but but just the silencers alone, like if you were to pull somebody over with one or, you know, what, what would you do then? Me, personally, I don't think anything should be regulated. I think we should be able to have silencers. Uh, we should be able to have automatics. You know, if I want to park a tank in my yard, I should be able to park a tank in my yard. I've seen your yard. It's not big enough. Well, <laughs> we're going to work on that. So, you know, uh, so you know, that's just me. You know, if you commit a crime, you commit a crime. It's illegal to kill someone. So Absolutely. Um, I, I would say I, I fall in line with the, the same thing. Um, as far as my beliefs go, you know, if you aren't doing anything that is directly harming or infringing on somebody else, then, then that is your right. You're a sovereign individual, and you should, you should have the say on what you're able to do. Okay, let me ask you another question not Second Amendment related. Say, say you get elected. Day one, what, well, I guess what exactly are you going to be doing? Because I, I, I feel like it's not so much sheriffs, but police departments and state troopers and stuff like that spend a lot of their time just finding ways they can... I guess make money off people. Exactly. Are you going to be doing that, or are you going no. to be trying to you know help no. people out no. and solve cases? And absolutely, I would I would want to get the department because again with the with the way the the public views police forces now, I think in order to try to bridge that gap and, and rebuild that trust, it starts at the top. the The top person in the department has to set the tone and um, set the guidelines by which the department is going to conduct themselves. So as a sheriff, you know, you're not only the face and, you know, the, the administrative head of the department, but you're the one setting the tone for the entire, you know, all of the, de- all of the deputies within mm-hmm. the department. So that would definitely be my focus. Let's get away from, you know, trying to squeeze every cent we can out of these people who are already paying for By everything installing red taxes. light cameras oh, don't, yes i can't even stand <laughs> i cannot every, stand every things. single thing you can putting scanners on your vehicles and driving around people's neighborhoods and seeing who has you know tickets out and stuff it's, like that yeah. i mean it, it's 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 getting a little too debt collecty to me absolutely you know I mean? and we're already we're paying the budget as it is as taxpayers so we're paying them to come around they're, and harass they're double us. dipping yes exactly so yeah. Um, I would definitely want to move away from that and move away and move towards being truly, um, you know, caring, protecting and serving the community and being, you know, um, to the point where you you don't have your citizens a little apprehensive or weary when they interact with a, a Travis County deputy. You want them to oh, you be, mean you don't feel safe when one's behind following behind you on the highway? <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. I see that. I, I'm just, you know, hoping that those lights don't come on and then I'm. <laughs> pulled over for who knows what and then you know who you know anything can happen from that point on your, your, your window tent's too dark exactly and i do i do my my it came stock but i have like <laughs> some tinted windows in the back there so that could that could be a problem 
Gotcha. Well, that's about all I got. All right, so let me switch gears just a little bit, and let's bring uh, Janae Hales into the conversation. We need to get some a little less testosterone here <laughs> and, and bring in a, a nice, uh, pretty voice into the conversation. So, Janae, uh, Janae is the owner of Cafe Aragona. Uh, Janae, welcome to Come and Talking. Hi, it's great to be here. And the reason I asked Janae to join us today, because I want to, you know, everyone needs to know who our pro-Second Amendment business owners are in our second, uh, our pro-Second Amendment businesses, you know, so we need to support them. And um, I want to bring her to the conversation because there's a lot going on about everything. Here we are in election year. Uh, We're days away from election day. And we have... A lot of information just was dumped on us on Friday in reference to Hillary Clinton. And in, in also inside the studio, I have my personal trainer here. I have a new personal trainer, by the way. You, we went through another one? Yes, I have another a new personal or you, trainer. Or you need uh, an additional. I have an additional <laughs> new personal trainer now. Okay. It's, okay. It's, it, that's a hard job. Is there know? a story behind that? Or, I mean, what's, what's, what's going on here? Is he just... <laughs> so it's 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 yeah and and he's in here with his he has a, a hillary for prison shirt on so that tells you you know Damn. i already I already like him already yep. and it, it's hard to be my personal trainer by the way okay so i i have him in here we're gonna bring him in a little later he he's sitting over there on the side thinking he's gonna be quiet this show but i'm gonna put him uh bring him on into the mic here but the reason I, I want to you know, bring Janae in is to really focus on those Second Amendment uh, businesses and then also, you know, talk about current events and what's going on and, you know, what are her thoughts? You know, she owns a coffee shop. You know, a lot of people come in, they, you know, start uh, conversations. They talk about things that are going on around the country, in the county, in the city. And I'm just curious about, you know, your business and, you know, what's going on with it. So tell us a little bit about Cafe Aragona, Janae. Okay. Um, Cafe Aragona was formerly Lavazza. Uh, we're located at 914 Congress, really close to the Capitol. So we get all kinds of politicians in there on a daily basis, which makes it fun for me because I'm kind of a political junkie myself. Um, it's not uncommon to have, you know, Bush in there or um, Karl Rove or um, the attorney general. Um, these are the faces we see on a daily basis. So um Politics is something very important to me. Second Amendment is very important to me. It's something very near and dear to my heart because of my own personal experiences. I, I came from North Carolina. I came to Texas in 1987. And in 1990, in North Carolina, my sister was raped and murdered. Mm. And it was on America's Most Wanted. They finally caught the, the people that did it. They were from Cuba. They were actually part of the boat people that Carter had let into the country. And three years later, I had a stalker who broke into my apartment and tried to rape and kill me. Mm. And so the thought of not being able to have a weapon is frightening to me. I want to be able to protect myself anytime I can, because the police are not always going to be there for me. And so um, this is a very important topic for me. Wow, and I had no idea any of that had happened at all. Yeah. Um, so let me go back a little bit then. Can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, what actually happened with your sister? It was your sister, sure. correct? My what, sister. Yeah, uh-huh. if you can tell us that story, what actually happened with that, and did they catch the guy that actually did it? Yes. So in 1990, I was in uh, McAllen, Texas. That's where I was living at the time. Got a call that my sister was missing, 
and her fiance, they lived together. So there were four people that were involved. It was a boyfriend and girlfriend, his son and her son. Um, they broke it. Her fiance, his father owned several pawn shops where I grew up. And so they had some money. These people had staked out the pawn shops. Her fiance had the master key and they were waiting for them when they uh, got home from work. When my sister and her fiance got home, they duct taped them, held them hostage overnight, repeatedly raped her, took him the next morning to rob the pawn shop. After they robbed it, they took him down a dirt road and shot him in the back of the head with a sawed-off shotgun. Um, They kept my sister for two days and raped her. Um, When they were about 50 miles outside of town, they had her in the trunk of the car. They took her down a dirt road and shot her in the back of the head, execution style. Her body wasn't found for nine months. America's Most Wanted came out. I got to meet John Walsh um, and filmed. Um, It was through the help of America's Most Wanted that um, they were finally captured. My sister's body was found by two fishermen who had stopped on the side of the road to use the restroom. (laughs) Um, And they found a skull with duct tape around it and had the sense to call the sheriff. They identified her through dental records. And um, we had a funeral. And then... America's Most Wanted did another story, and then they did a third story when they finally caught them from a tip, um, and they caught them in the Dominican Republic. Mm. But these had been people that had come to this country back when Carter allowed boat people, those so-called boat people. They were on, uh, um, they had been in trouble with the law many, many times. They were out uh, of jail uh, on bond for cocaine charges, and they decided to just rob the pawn shop for money. And uh, so that was the story with my sister. Uh, but they, they finally caught them, um, and all of them are serving life in prison in North Carolina at this time. Wow. That's a really touching story. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking with Janai Hales. She's the owner of Cafe Aragona. You got to get involved in, in this election cycle. We're days away from the election. It's important that we don't put the same people in office that are not doing what they're supposed to do. It's important that we get rid of this cocaine constable. Um, and we get rid of these people who are who do not have our our thoughts and our intentions, you know, and not doing the job they're supposed to do. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk. This is Brittany Glaze, and I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Welcome back to Come and Talk It, and now here's Michael Cargill. 
That's right. I get knocked down, but I get up again. So we're listening to, um, we're actually talking with Janai Hales, the owner of Cafe Aragona, which is located on Congress Avenue. It's 914 Congress Avenue. So definitely, if you get a chance, you're at the Capitol, you're you know visiting the Capitol, taking a couple of pictures, just walk one block down Congress. And check out this awesome coffee shop with some very quality sandwiches and salads. Let me tell you, great quality sandwiches and salads. Definitely check check out Cafe Aragona. And Janai was also telling us about an incident that actually happened with her um, that made her, you know, really lean toward the Second Amendment community. Yeah. Um, so after my sis, after the incident with my sister in 1990. In 1994, when I was living in McAllen, Texas, on, along the border, um, I was a single mom at the time, and um, someone broke into my duplex. I didn't know at the time that sliding glass doors were easy to break into. Um, so someone broke into my duplex and was sitting down next to my bed staring at me when I woke up. Holy crap. And, and proceeded to try to rape and kill me, and told me he was going to kill me. Um, I struggled for about 30 minutes trying to save my life. The That's a lifetime. It's a lifetime when you're 30 minutes, 30 minutes. I know because he had initially knocked on my door at 616 in the morning and I opened it because I had a friend that was she was supposed to come and I thought, oh, she's just coming in early in the morning. I opened the door and he asked if Albert was there and I was like, no, there's no Albert. I slammed the door, shut it, went back to bed. And um, fell back asleep. And then um, I remember coming back from the park and looking at the clock. And it was about 8.30 in the morning. But um, due to knowing some time frames there, it was about 30 minutes that I fought for my life. Um, Even to the point where I saw a belt wrapped around my neck as he was trying to strangle me um, and telling me he was going to kill me. Um, But he could never pin me down um, long enough to rape me. And I always say that the reason he couldn't pin me down was I'm a big proponent of weightlifting. And I was training for my first competition at the time. And I always tell women, lift weights and lift heavy. It's not going to make you bulky like a man, but lift. And this guy was 5'9", 240 pounds, but he could never pin me down. Granted, I was scared as well, but I was in very, very good shape. And I've never stopped training my whole entire life because it makes me feel safer along with having a gun. Um, But um, so he could never pin me down. And I finally, when he was strangling me, his finger got in my mouth and I said I was going to bite it off. And his blood was gushing in my mouth. Mm. And he finally released me. And I ran out the front door. There was a park nearby. I ran out the front door to the park half naked um, and some joggers rescued me. Mm. But it, it was a very, very difficult. I was beat up, and it was a very difficult attack. And see, that goes into kind of what <clears throat> me and my personal trainer was talking about, how it's important that people, you know, you, you, you know, you get in shape. You actually you train, you exercise, keep yourself in some good shape because you may not be able to get to your gun. You may not have a gun or whatever, but you need to be in good shape because you may have to fight a person off. You know, so that it's it's very important that you definitely keep yourself in great shape. And I'm, I'm, man, I, it, 
this is like divine. This is a divine interview. I swear, <laughs> I had no idea that any of this stuff had happened when I asked you to come on the show today. I'm just in shock right now, and because we were just talking about this stuff just the other day, and I'm just I'm I'm floored right now. Yeah. I'm just, oh, man, I'm so glad you came onto the show. You have no idea, no idea at all. All right, so let me go back real quick uh, to. Eric Guerra, who's running for Travis County Sheriff on the Libertarian ticket. Um, Eric, you know, there's there's a lot of crime that's that's happening in North Austin. Um, we have people are actually I mean, it, it's crazy because uh, during the ACL festival mm-hmm. in, in the you know, this was the North Austin. But in the ACL festival, the security was so focused on. License holders and making sure that license holders could not carry their gun inside the ACL festival that in the parking lot of the ACL fest, they actually had vehicles um, had their tires stolen off the vehicle. So the vehicles were sitting on on bricks in the parking lot of the ACL festival. Uh, this is crazy. So they were so focused on making sure that license holders couldn't carry in the festival on that the last weekend that they weren't focusing on security the bad guys so the bad guys were having a field day you know breaking into cars stealing rims stealing tires and 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 crazy stuff like that so now you you we go into north austin where precinct two is you know we have this corrupt constable up there um where you have women that are jogging exercising and you know there's no law enforcement is just not helping in the north area you know, so what do you think that we should do as a community? What can the sheriff do to help the public, you know, to feel a little safer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, the the big thing is, uh, you know, we get so focused on, like you're saying, that this issue, like the ACL example is, is a perfect example. You get these police departments that get, you know, a, a, a hair about a certain type of thing and they focus so hard on uh, issues that may or may not pertain to to their community they're not aware of what their community needs they're not communicating with the community and they're not being a part of the community they're just acting within the you know the interests of whoever is you know the constable or, or whoever is is running the show up there and um it goes back to you know just building trust with the community they're going to tell you you know what issues are going on where they feel unsafe what they want to see the department doing you need to just hear them out um, and go and help them in that way. And then that builds the trust. And then you've got people more willing to talk with the police and inform them, hey, I've, you know, this this is going on. It seems a little fishy. I just wanted you all to know, as opposed to, well, they're not really helpful anyway. So what's the point in calling them? They're not going to do anything about it. Um, so that's the, the big thing is, is getting back to the idea of being a, a force that protects and serves. Um, emphasis, emphasis on the serving part. This is your community. It's it's you're in care of it. The people are not only paying your salary, but entrusting you to carry out that job correctly and justly, and not abuse the power that that they're entrusting you with. Hmm. Okay. And let me change gears a little bit, and let's talk about red light cameras. So, what are your thoughts about I red light them. cameras? I hate them. Why? It's it's uh, as it just as a libertarian, it just it it gives me like. It makes my spine tingle, the idea of, of some just little camera taking a picture of you, and then uh, uh, suddenly you're, you're on the hook for, uh, you know, however much they decide this ticket is going to be. I, I do not like the idea. I'm not a fan of any sort of surveillance like that. Um, 
Also, I'd like to point out that it's not actually the police department or sheriffs that are writing the tickets. It's somebody in India or Bangladesh or something like that that's actually reviewing the footage and writing the tickets. So they're not even legal to begin with because you have a right to face your accuser. Exactly. Yep. They're exactly. never going to fly in and, and, and show up at court. So they're not even legal to begin with. And and we're spending our money to basically harass ourselves. Again, yeah, again, kind of the double dipping thing that we were talking about earlier. We're not only paying for these things to be installed, but then we're, you know, subject to, um, you know, fines and, and tickets from them. So I, I am absolutely... 100% against red light cameras. I think we need to uninstall all the ones that we have already and not pursue installing any more throughout the uh, county of Travis. Okay. Now, Janai, um, the owner of Cafe Aragona. Janai, tell me, as a, as a strong woman, you know, because now you're, you're my hero now. <laughs> <laughs> you are my hero. I'm telling you now. You have no idea. Um, what are your thoughts about this election? You know, because... Uh, people are not feeling, you know, yeah, people that really don't like Hillary Clinton. They feel she's an evil woman. And then you have Donald Trump. You know, people don't feel like he's, you know, really a good Republican candidate. Uh-huh. Um, so and then the libertarian candidate, you know, has made some mistakes and just not coming across as being competent, confident. Yeah. This particular election here. So, you know, what are your thoughts about this election cycle? And, you know, which way you think people should lean or which way are you leaning? Well, no, I'm I'm not um I don't really think that the libertarian candidate has the experience level at, to be president. So, I completely rule him out. I've I've read up on him and he's started a great company and I think that's a great thing, but to run for president, I don't think he's anywhere close to where he needs to be. Um as far as Hillary and Trump, um I'm not a big fan of Donald Trump. I, I've read his books throughout the years. Having said that, if I had to choose, obviously I do have to choose between him and Hillary Clinton. I would choose him. Um, I will say I'm not happy with some of the things he said regarding women, and I I don't think he acts presidential a lot. He needs to really reel it in and learn to act according to the office that he's seeking Mm. Um, I'm not saying Hillary Clinton is good either Um, she in her debates she managed to keep her cool which to people that aren't familiar with everything she's done that probably looked good on the surface but I, I as a female I'm often disgusted when I hear women say that Hillary is for women because I have no idea what they're talking about. Mm. She has thrown more women under the bus than I can count on my hands. Why do you say that? Well, if you look at the affairs that that Clinton had, her husband. Look, as as a wife, I don't expect her to divorce her husband. That's her. That's their business. Right. But. I think she should have taken a neutral stance and not said anything. But what she did was completely blame everything on these women. And, and a lot of them, I think, were pretty credible. Yeah, victim shaming. And, and, and that's horrible. Now, on the other side, to, um, in response to some of these people claiming that the women that have come out regarding Trump saying, oh, he's, they're just coming out because he's running for office and all this other stuff. I have to tell you, as somebody that has been assaulted and has 
done a lot of volunteer work for women that are assaulted, it is really hard to come out. And they could, some of them could be telling the truth. I don't know. Mm. But uh, I'm not going to make my decision to pick a president solely on that. I have to look at the whole picture to make that decision. So I'm not going to say that these women that are uh, claiming Trump did something to them are lying, because like I said, it's very hard um, to come out. But when you look at the big picture, oh my goodness, I would say that Hillary Clinton um, would be far worse as as a president than he would. All right. And then uh, Eric Guerra, who's running for Travis County Sheriff on the Libertarian ticket. What are your thoughts about this upcoming election? Absolutely. Uh, I, I'll go ahead and say that I will be voting for Gary Johnson, the Libertarian candidate. I voted for him at the national convention that we had in Orlando. Um, you know, I, I see your points. They're, they're valid. Uh, he was a two-term governor, so I think he does definitely have executive experience, maybe not on a national or federal level. Um, but again, it's uh, I think we're slowly starting to see the lie of the, the two-party system starting to crack. And we're seeing the American people are, are fed up, and especially with an election like this where we have this primary system where 9% of the, the voting population selected these two people. Um, you know, had independents been able to vote, we'd be looking at a completely different election. Probably. Well, that's not true, though. Hillary Hillary bought this election, though. She bought this primary, you know what I mean? Well, all, all the way from the beginning, the Democratic Party basically chose her, was working with her, conspiring with her, and basically rigged it against Bernie Sanders, which I don't, I don't, I'm not a Bernie Sanders supporter, but she didn't win. That's well, for sure. Yeah, and that's what I mean. If, if independents were allowed to vote in these primaries and you didn't have to be registered with the party, we would definitely have Bernie versus uh, uh, um, probably Rubio or somebody like that. Um, yeah, well, so, it, it didn't take him long to bow down and kiss the ring, though. That's for sure. Yeah, that was very disappointing. Um, you know, I wasn't a Bernie supporter either, but I liked a lot of what he said, and, and that kind of disappointed me that he, that he went ahead and did that. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, um, you know, you, to me, it's voting conscience. I don't believe in the idea of a wasted vote. Your vote is for who you pick. And, um, you know, I, I truly believe that of those candidates, that Gary Johnson is the best one and most in line with, with what I believe, so he will be the one getting my vote. All right, we're talking with Janai Hales, the owner of Cafe Aragona. We're also talking with Eric Guerra. He's running for Travis County Sheriff on the Libertarian ticket. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Gerald Darty, and I'm the Precinct 3 County Commissioner here in Travis County, and you're listening to Come and Talk It. Welcome back to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. We're talking all things firearms. Now, here's Michael Cargill. Now it's time for GGN, Global Gun News. Global Gun News, sponsored by Central Texas Gunworks, the largest online gun store in Texas. In the news, in a story that would seem to come straight out of a horror movie, A fugitive by the name of Michael Vance has yet to be captured by Oklahoma City police after he committed multiple acts of violence. Vance and an unknown accomplice are said to have shot a woman and stolen her car while fleeing a scene where Vance also shot two police officers with an AK-47. The accomplice has been captured, but while Vance has been evading police... 
He has also been suspected of another shooting at a truck stop where a victim was shot in the leg. Now, during the investigation, it was discovered that Vance had not just been shooting at random people. He had also killed two of his family members, his aunt and uncle, whose bodies were found at a home in Luther. Now, it was clear that the killer had even attempted to decapitate both victims after killing them. The suspect has also shown up on Facebook, where he live streamed videos detailing his crime spree, as you'll hear in this clip. I'm about to steal another car. Like right now, it's gonna be intense. Before all of this occurred, he had been released after he was charged for the sexual assault of a 15-year-old girl. The sheriff of Oklahoma County believes he killed his relatives because they planned on testifying against him in the case. Now, Vance also could be carrying HIV and is said to have no qualms about spreading this disease. Now, the last known vehicle he was in is described as a silver Mitsubishi with a blue roof. He is armed and extremely dangerous. Last week, a retired NYPD officer was conducting a business at his tobacco shop in Garfield, New York, when a young man entered the store wearing a mask and wielding a gun. He demanded money, but the shop owner refused and a fight broke out. The shop owner grabbed his own gun and fired at the suspect, hitting him once. As a robber fled the store, the retired officer couldn't let go of his old ways and gave chase. Now, eventually... The pursuit was stopped by police and the suspect was caught. He was taken to the hospital, treated and charged with armed robbery and other offenses. Now, neither the ex-cop or his wife, who was also present at the robbery, were hurt during the incident. Funny enough, it was discovered that the gun used in the robbery was actually fake. Also, the suspect has a history of violence, including a reported bar fight where he allegedly stabbed three people. Even more terrible, he has a history of sexual abuse. In 2003, he was arrested after sexually assaulting two young girls he was supposedly babysitting, which makes it only more fitting that the retired officer shot the sex offender, robber, attempted murderer, right in the groin. Recently, in our global gun news, we reported on one of California's upcoming proposed laws, Proposition 63. While the prop hasn't yet become law, anti-gunners are still trying to pass more gun laws. During a meeting of the rules and open government committee in San Jose last month, council members Ash Calra and Raul Perez submitted a city ordinance focusing on gun control with four recommendations. It would introduce stricter storage laws at home and in a vehicle and requires the public to report any loss of firearms within a 48-hour period, as well as requiring ammunition dealers to keep electronic logs of their sales. It was recommended by Police Chief Eddie Garcia that the proposal be put on hold until after November the 8th, since it would enact redundant laws. Now, Chief Garcia also pointed out that the criminalization of not reporting a firearm loss in time would result in more people being deterred from reporting the loss at all due to a fear of punishment. And lastly, he even noted that 
someone who was to violate the ordinance wouldn't be discovered unless officers were called to the home or business in the first place. And California, of course, already has storage laws for firearms, and these redundant laws, whether it be Prop 63 or this city ordinance, only build more and more hurdles for law-abiding citizens to bound over in their pursuit of practical self-defense. Since the legalization of campus carry on Texas college grounds went into effect earlier this year, along with many other states, the discussion of campus carry has been more a prevalent topic, as is the case with a study completed at the University of John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, where it attempted to detail the concept that more guns on campus increase crime. Right off the bat, it calls out John Lott, an economist and writer who is popular for his pro-gun books and stances steaming from his research. Lott himself suggests that Many flaws in the conduct of the study, such as its focus on the state of Missouri due to the fact that its statistics can be expressed to fit gun control advocates narrative. The study itself also seeks to perpetuate the assumption that young adults are too underdeveloped or immature to handle a firearm. Now, Professor John Vernick, who helped present the study, elaborates on this in an interview. Campus safer, and there's a lot of good reasons to think that bringing guns into a college environment could actually make that college less safe. Professor Jan Vernick points to students having poor impulse control, experimenting with alcohol that can lead to binge drinking and high suicide rates, and the concerns of how to safely store a firearm. It's just a recipe for disaster. And yet, in the face of all this supposed evidence that more guns will cause more crime on campus, it is stated in the executive summary of the study itself that concealed carriers as a group have low rates of criminal offenses. So where is this supposed crime coming from? And that is your Global Gun News Report for this week of Halloween 2016. All right, so... Cafe Aragona. Now, uh, Janai, tell me, uh, you guys serve breakfast there? Yes, we do. You do? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I got to talk into having grits. Have you heard of grits? Mike Trainer, are you I'm listening? I'm from North Carolina. <laughs> Don't. I heard that. My, are, are you listening? <laughs> Look here. He, he needs to stay in his lane. <laughs> right now, you guys are sharing lanes. <laughs> He's in your lane. He's in my lane? Okay. So, so he... So you heard of grits then? Yes, I grew up in North Carolina. Oh man, that's I tell you, grits. That's that's part of my favorite breakfast. I tell you, um, hopefully I can talk into having grits, and maybe I can come by there, you know, the same day, you know, one day out of the week, and just eat breakfast. There. Okay, for you, I will carry grits. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'll bring my trainer with me. You going? I'm going. All right. See, there you go. Nah, there you go. What do you think about that? <laughs> what you got to say? <laughs> yeah, he, no no additives to it though, right? No no sugar, no putting no jams, nothing no, in it, no no butter, like, no sweet grits. We like I like so, uh, salt, pepper, you know, uh, some butter. Um, oh yeah, I like that. You have meat, to, you have meat to, to up, my up stuff. your potassium intake. Yeah, exactly. That's what I like. All right, so tell me a little bit about the menu. What do you? Because well, first let's back up. It wasn't always called. Was it always called Cafe Aragona? No, we were we were initially called Lavazza. Okay. Expression. It was a franchise through Lavazza Coffee, and they actually um, get. We had a menu that they uh, gave us. Okay. Okay. 
And um, now that we went independent, we're allowed to change the menu. I've kind of stuck. It, this has all happened not that long ago, so I'm still in the phase of changing completely. And that's got to be really hard to change the name of your business. It, you it's, know, the, it's, you, you got to change the name, the LLC, and all just all that stuff. Is yeah, just so I didn't. I had to change the DBA, not the LLC. Okay. But having said that, um, you know, when you open a business, you ex- you certainly anticipate having um, certain life uh, on your. Um, furniture and fixtures, things like that. So I've had to put in more money to mm. take out um, you know, certain logos and things like that. Um, so I haven't really been happy about that. Because those signs are expensive. They signs, are. Signs, uh-huh. overhead, and uh, you know, we're just on the bags. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. We've had to change Packaging. all the logos, and, and we had to repaint. I'm still getting new furnishings various things like that um but on the other side as a you know i my parents are italian uh my father was from calabria italy he fought for mussolini in world Mm. war ii so i grew up in north carolina in the stereotypical italian restaurant (laughs) which is how i ended up marrying somebody that had a domino store and we were married for a very long time and had a chain of domino's pizza stores along the border um so i grew up in the food business and um so I'm familiar with being an independent uh, restaurant, and I know the franchise world. Um, being independent, you don't have to pay royalties. Mm. You don't have to pay for this ad uh, budget that most franchises have. You don't get the support, but you're allowed more flexibility. I can put anything I want on the menu. I can do all kinds of things. And, and I feel confident enough in myself and my daughter. Her name's Christina. She is part owner with me. She graduated nice. from St. Edwards. And when she graduated business school, that's what we did. We opened that together. Wow. Okay. And um, that's how I ended up in Austin. Um, I'm no longer married. And so when I when I divorced i moved here and she had been going to st edwards and we opened that together all right so we're gonna have to come there we're either gonna come there tomorrow or wednesday <laughs> and we're gonna eat breakfast at right, cafe well, aragona let me tell you how did you come up with the name cafe aragona what well, uh aragona is my maiden name gotcha okay. so um i just chose my my uh my maiden name. It's, it's such a beautiful name, Cafe mm-hmm. Aragona. That's, that's awesome. And um, and you guys do quality sandwiches. You have salads. Uh, what are the things that you have on your yeah, menu? Yeah, we, we do all kinds of stuff. We've got gelato. Hmm. Um, we've got all kinds of pastries, croissants, scones, um, all kinds of uh, breads. Um, yes, we do paninis. Um, we I would say our best or most popular thing that we especially for breakfast we we do a lot of quiche we do all mm. kinds of quiche um which is really popular and we do healthy salads we do a variety of things and then obviously all the coffee beverages we have we, we've since we had the initial menu we've kept a lot of the the italian treats from italy because since i have a an agreement with lavazza now it's more of a loose agreement i just exclu- exclusively carry their coffee um we can keep all the coffee drinks so um I have the best of both worlds now, I think. Wow. So if you're definitely going to plan a meeting downtown at the Capitol or outside the Capitol, somewhere close to the Capitol, you definitely want to do that meeting at Cafe Aragona. It's a good place to meet people for lunch, have a meeting or meet someone for breakfast, uh, brunch or whatever, and and over coffee, sandwich or whatever. And the pricing is good. We have very good prices. Yeah. And I will say this, since it is a an Italian coffee product i will i will say you will not get an, a better espresso shot 
And the icing on the cake is they're pro Second Amendment. I can <laughs> carry my gun in there. I don't you have any issues can. at all. So I love that. Pro Second Amendment. That's the icing on the cake right there. That's Cafe Aragona. And that is Janai Hills, the owner of Cafe Aragona. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Yo, what's going on, guys? It's Jack Jones here, and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, it's all about going down, looking at that entire ballot there this weekend. If you're standing in lines at the polls, you're on your way to the election polls. Look at the entire ballot there. Make sure you're looking at those names and you don't vote straight party ticket. Definitely select the candidate for that particular job, whether it's a... I'm not even going to say the D word because I do not vote Democrat at all. I will never ever vote for a Democrat. Sorry, can't do it. Ain't going to happen. Nada. Sorry. Not here. So, you know, you're either going to pick your Republican candidate, pick a Libertarian or a Green Party. One of those. Do not vote for a Democrat. I can't stand those little scumbags. So I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, so just make sure you vote and vote all the way down the ticket. Don't vote straight party. Make sure you pick a person. Just keeping it real. All right, so let me go back to Eric, Eric Guerra, who's running for Travis County Sheriff on the Libertarian ticket. So, Eric, you know, what what sets you separate from the other candidates that are running in this race? Well, the biggest thing is my youth. Uh, as, as I was saying earlier off air, I am 22 years younger than the next youngest candidate in the, uh, in the election, in the race for Travis County Sheriff. So I'm going to bring uh, that vigor, that uh, optimism, that questioning attitude of why do we do things a certain way? I'm not going to just, oh, well, that's the way it's always been, so that's the way the department's going to keep doing things. It's, let's, let's figure out why we're doing everything and make sure there's a purpose and a reason behind it. And uh, if we can find a better and more effective way of doing things, that's And hell, let's just put it out there, ladies. He's actually a little more cuter than the rest of the candidates out there. <laughs> right, so we'll just put it out there. I, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. <laughs> My mom certainly told me that growing up. So, uh, <laughs> But... Uh, Again, and, and, you know, I may not have uh, actual experience within, you know, uh, police departments or, or within the criminal justice field. But again, my, my father has been a police officer for 30 years. So I'm aware of um, that lifestyle and, and kind of what goes with it. And I think I, I would help to have a civilian coming in and giving that civilian outlook on it and saying, well, this is, you know, as a civilian, kind of what I've felt and what I see and, and where I think we can make some progress and doing that from the top position within the department and having that come down and, and that leadership style come down and, and having you know your deputies behind you um i think that would be go a long way in, in helping to restore that trust you think you community. have a hard time with um any of the current you know deputies in the department you know if, if you walked in the door there I, I, I'm sure at first, yeah, absolutely. Um, you just you let know. them know you're the HNIC in charge, and you just got to follow what you say. <laughs> he, he, might, he, might, he might get pulled over on the way home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, let some people let some people figure out what that means. Just tell them. You walk in the door, you say, look here, I'm the HNIC here, and you're going to do exactly what I tell you. <laughs> you tell them that. Yeah, and tell them Michael tell Cargill them. told you so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what that means? Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh man, God, I'm telling my age. I tell you. <laughs> uh, all right, all right. So Justin, tell me what's you know what's coming up with uh, Lone Star Gun Rights. What are you guys working on? Well, we're still gathering uh, petition signatures for constitutional carry. Uh, we're, we're getting those ready for the first day of session. We're going to deliver them again like we did last year. Uh, throughout last session, we delivered around 40,000 petitions. Gearing up for it again. Hopefully, we'll have 80,000 this time. Hopefully, we're going to make a lot more phone calls, uh, put a lot more pressure on our legislators to, to do what's right and allow us to carry without a license, stop earning money off us. Nice. Okay. And what about the legislative session? Uh, what about it? It's coming up. Yeah, it's coming up January. It's coming up real fast. And some people are actually uh, actually writing bills already. I've got, I actually yes. had a, uh, an opportunity to talk with uh, two different state reps, uh, their offices, uh, talking about some current uh, pro-Second Amendment bills, trying to do some cleanup work, try to clean up some of the issues that we have um, with some of our laws. And I know you're you know, constitutional carrier. Certainly, but certainly, some certainly the there's things. some cleanup that could be done. But I also know that when you start submitting all these Second Amendment bills, uh, weak Republicans tend to pass those bills and then they get reined in as a champion of Second Amendment rights, even though they didn't do crap to expand our rights. Mm-hmm. So that's the only thing that scares me about that is that, you know, they start passing these lesser bills. And then and what it does is it, it allows a diversion to where they won't take on the, the meat and potatoes, which is the constitutional carry. You know what I'm saying? Because at the end of the day, the constitutional carry, that's what that's what's going to grant more people in Texas the right to carry, not this clean cleanup bills. And I actually had someone in class bring up today. He said, you know. How come in Texas, you know, you you it's not constitutional carry. How come yeah, how you, come how come I can go to the gun store, pass a background check, buy a handgun, carry it around in my glove box, carry it next to me on my seat with a towel over it, but I can't carry it on my hip. Yeah, I had to, I had to tell them, you know, hey, it goes all the <laughs> way back to the 1800s, you know. Um, and it started where most of the laws were actually being written in Austin, Texas, and the majority of people were actually living in Galveston, Texas. And that the legislator said, you know, well, you know, when it comes to long guns, everyone's got a long gun. Everyone can carry um, that long gun, that rifle, and they all have a hammer and all kinds of tools and stuff like that. So we're not going to mess with those, but we're going to heavily regulate handguns. So it goes all the way back there. You know, so Texas is really not as pro Second Amendment as some people think. My idea of cleanup bills would be to take it to take the uh, the laws as written and throw them in the trash. I think they should be unregulated, just like long arms. Hmm. All right. What do you think about what do you think about that, uh, Eric Guerra, who's running for Trash County Sheriff as a libertarian? I, I would say I absolutely agree. Uh, I I love the idea of constitutional carry. I love the idea of people being able to exercise that right, and I would love to see legislation come out that that supports that. All right. And then let me go back to Janai. Yes, Janai. What do you have for us? What do you think? Um. Yeah, I agree with. I would. I agree with them. What Janai's not saying is she's seen us on several occasions coming <laughs> coming to her right. place and walking down Sixth Street when we did a lot of our uh, open carry marches. That's where we actually first met her to begin with was uh, on our open carry walks. That's yes. right. So, and and I never felt threatened. I mean, I saw a bunch of guys walking down the street with guns everywhere, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I never felt threatened. Um, I, I think this this whole thing of people saying, "Oh, the guns are frightening," and that's that's just nonsense. I mean, you can tell when someone's trying to do harm. And trust me, I'm a hypervigilant person. I walk around looking and, and being alert to make sure that I'm safe. I never felt threatened by these guys. Not once. And there was one event. We walked we walked down 6th Street with 150 people. That's right. You know, and it was huge. We had the media on it and everything. It was during South by Southwest and... Uh, funny thing is, you don't you don't hear them reporting on that. I mean, there was obviously people tweeting about it and stuff like that at the time, but you didn't hear any articles about it because nothing happened. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? And it, it was, it was, uh, I think almost the, the same day was, you know, when the drunk driver ran over a bunch of people, I exact guess. Exact same on. day. Because earlier exact that day, day. Yeah. Earlier that day, you guys, you know, I, I was, we were all out there. Black powder but, pistols, yeah. rifles, everything. And I can tell you that my magazine was loaded and I had one in the chamber and, and nothing happened. And then later on that night, guy drove, he drives through the crowd drunk and actually kills a few people and injure even more. That's correct. Yeah. That was definitely crazy. All right, I want to thank you guys for coming on the show. I want to, I want to thank Eric Guerra, who's running for Travis County Sheriff as a Libertarian. Uh, so definitely look at those down-ballot races. Go all the way down to the bottom. Go ahead, Eric. Uh, if I could, with the down-ballot races as well, I would love to plug uh, Mark Miller for Railroad Commissioner. He is our, our Libertarian candidate. He is by far the most can- a qualified person for that position, and uh, he's kind of he's going to help us maintain... Uh, access to the ballot. So I would l- encourage everybody to check out Mark Miller for Railroad Commissioner. All right. And then I want to thank Janai Hales, the owner of Cafe Aragona, for coming on the show and, and sharing with us her story about her sister and things that happened with her personally. Because uh, I, I was really shocked by that. I had no idea. And I really appreciate you sharing that story with us today. Sure. Thank you for inviting me. All right. Now, for this Halloween celebration, people would like to portray their creative and comedic side in many different ways. Popular costumes very often seek to explore the lighter side of many current events. Now, of course, a minority of the participants will indeed seek specifically to offend others, as is their right to free speech and expression. But most have a benign desire to dress up and have fun without making a major political statement. Cultural appropriations, for instance, is apparently the newest thing professional victims get offended by and it's only made worse when institutions and their universities seek to affirm their offense now the university of texas has had its fair share of sweeping acts of political correctness and this halloween is one more way they seek to show the world just how of unoffensive they can be now the dean's office released a costume and theme selection statement that purpose the appropriate costumes students would be encouraged to wear, as well as the offensive costumes they are encouraged to steer clear from. For example, how fun would it be to show up at your friend's party dressed at a, as a letter of the alphabet or a Rubik's Cube, as they suggested to their students? While the statement proposes that using themes from other parts of the world is too offensive for students' sensitive eyes even going as far as saying that cowboy costumes are offensive. This is Texas. But people will get offended by a cowboy hat. Really? I guess I'll just dress up as a big, huge, black dildo and parade myself around campus since that's apparently okay, according to the University of Texas. And remember, more guns equals less crime. Go out and buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.